In the old world, Little Johnny was more like a brand new foot-powered wheat thresher. It was like Christmas for farm dads. Every time a son was born. Moms, they looked at their daughters and thought, Gosh, my inflamed dough-kneading forearms already feel better because little Susie's here. Hello! Welcome again to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? Rabbits are things that pop up on the interwebs and then run away. They reproduce quickly. They usually don't have a lot to say. Rabbits are nice. They're pretty. But then they're gone. Hiding somewhere. Because they weren't really, well, they weren't really meaning much to start out with. This is the interweb. But on this podcast, we try to do heavy things lightly. Philosophy, history, theology, years of immersive experiences. In order to understand, I don't know, some key questions. As our world continues to unravel in ways that I think are pretty good on some level or at least they're meant to be this is Watar this is why are we talking about rabbits and this is part two what are children for anyway so in part one this was right before the Nicholas Kotar interview which I highly recommend you go and listen to if you haven't yet This is a deacon, writer, artist, singer. Oh, lovely guy. We had a good talk. That talk was right around Christmas. This uh, podcast you're listening to right now is just before the new year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The new year (laughs) is marked by January 1st, not by September 1st. For some of you out there, that's the new year. Yeah. But January 1st does something interesting. It resets. Oh, kind of like culture. And maybe like our understanding of kids. I'm trying to take a reset here. I'm trying to figure out what the old world says about kids. We listened last time to the new. We checked in on what light people have begun to understand as the purpose for children. We kind of looked at studies on regret uh, done by light people in light people countries. Light people, if you're just tuning in to the why are we talking about rabbits, light people are people living in the enlightenment cultures. Don't hear smart ones there, just hear those that adhere to a certain rational view of the world. Light people are often white people, but not always. Europe. Well, Europe tells us that they're making fewer babies these days. We talked about that in the last part one. Because there is some sort of question that's been growing in the hearts and minds of light people as to what are kids for? What we learned from part one is that about 10 to 15% of all parents queried in these two studies that I mentioned, well... 10 to 15% of them regret having their kids, which is pretty incredible because most people don't want to say that. You know what I mean? It's like, do you beat your wife? That's not going to get answered properly on most polls. And that's why I love it. It's the same with porn. I love how they try to figure out who's watching porn by asking people. Yeah, no. 
No, that's not going to bear much. But I will say this, 10 to 15% in these light people polls said, yeah, I regret my kids. Here's where Here were the reasons. This is recap time. What's a recap sound, Andrew? Recap. Light people parents said, uh, burnout. Perfectionism. I'm not good enough as a parent. So in that sense, I regret having kids. The second thing that both studies cited was you tend to regret your kids more in these countries when there's less access to abortion, which is fascinating, which is like, if only I had had more access to abortion, then I would have not had my kid. Therefore, I couldn't regret. So I think they're really regretting abortion access, but somehow it ties in. There was a correlation between people who didn't get much access and people who regretted at higher rates. There was an aversion to sacrifice. That was definitely one of the main factors in regretting kids. COVID. COVID doubled the regret in one study. Yeah, this was a 2021 study. And then there was this thing they called personal progeny incongruence. What? Yeah. You are incongruent as a person with progeny. You just... You don't like kids. It's in your bones. I get that. I, I think I'm one of those people. Somehow I got them, though. And now they're, like, way cooler than I thought. But anyway, I don't know. Now I'm in trouble. Well, look, here's the deal. These were the major sort of reasons for regret in these 2021 studies. And in some ways, just before signing off last time, I tried to tackle the reasons that, you know, they do have kids. Like, if these are the reasons I regret, what are the reasons for having kids? The purpose of kids. And basically, again and again, in all the things I was reading and all the things I have read and in the world I live in called the new world, you just see that it's we're wired for it. I think that's 95% of the end. We're wired. Like, we can't help it. It's wiring. Like, Westworld. Like, Maeve, the, the barkeep, she was just wired. She tried to escape her wiring, but she couldn't. Just to enlighten that a little bit, Vanita Mehta, she's a PhD in the science of children. She puts it like this, quote, People really do need to reproduce, either directly or indirectly. She goes on, For nature to continue operating on our genes, we need to reproduce. This is not the reason or purpose for kids, she says as that would insinuate some form of intelligent design for human existence. Rather, having a kid is just a mechanical fact. Unquote. Yeah, Vanita is just saying nature like needs our genes, and it's a fact. Of course, the quote implies that nature is like asking or something. Give me your genes. But it wouldn't be that because it's Mother Nature. Hello, give me your genes. I need your genes in order to, what did she say? In order to work on them. This is weird. 
because she's Vanita is personifying nature. And that's not very mechanical or factual. Like it's not very much in line with the rational revolution to personify nature. No, people don't need to reproduce like at all for any reason ever. I don't need to. The, the philosophical terms aren't right. I am moved to or something. Right? New world rationalists can't say things like nature needs you to do that without attributing some sort of magical or quote quasi-religious property to nature and to us. Look, man, people don't need to reproduce. Okay? In a utilitarian worldview, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't need to. Now, I might be driven to, they might, I don't know, something in me, there's instinct or something, but then that gets into the ineffable. We desire to reproduce. But the studies show that we in the light people world, we desire it less and less. And that brings us to old world understandings of kids. What does the old world, pre-enlightenment culture in general, what does it say kids are for? Let's go 7th century, an unenlightened human. What did he or she say kids are for? Want to check it out? But before we do, here's a little ad from our newest sponsor. Andrew? Andrew, what is growing plant music sound like like if you grow plants beautiful plants and then sell them what would that music sound like that's the music we're playing right now here we go sea grown that's right sea grown company great company in naples florida florida's finest wholesale nursery in fact where they combine modern plant technology and old school nursery experience there you have it the old and the new world at sea grown Go to seagrown.com and learn about container-grown, trend-setting, wholesale nursery love. Seagrown of Naples, a dynamic nursery, has become the go-to plant material portal for high-end landscape designers, architects, building contractors, and those who know the difference plant quality can make in their projects. And they sell not only to Florida, but they sell all the way across the country. Go to seagrown.com or call the shop at 239, area code 239-273-9027. Experience beautiful plants for your best projects. Seagrown. So, to start on this little journey into the old world and kids and what they're for, it's important to begin with two notions. I think this comes from our experiences working overseas, but also from history, stuff I like, stuff I've read, stuff I've studied. These two ideas do a really good job, I think, of summing up what kids are for in the minds of soul and souls of the old world cultures, pre-enlightenment. Here are the two ideas we need to dig down on. First, service. And the second is offering. If you don't like that word, sacrifice. Service in the sense of an offering, a sacrifice. So first, let's talk about service. I think this is true. Check it against, I don't know, your world and your mind and your soul and your studies. But in the old world, it's very clear that kids serve parents, period. People have kids to serve in the field, 
farm work. They have them to take care of them when they grow old. And I mean like they have sex knowing they need little nursing home attendance later in life. Yeah, they don't have a retirement plan that involves a like the villages. Whatever that big anything in Florida that they build for old folks. They don't have this stuff in the old world. So they make little babies to be nursing home attendants. Yeah. Old worlders have kids so they can make them into soldiers who can then claim land and, well, upgrade the family social status. Fact. Kids, yeah, allow the family name to persist, especially boy kids in most old world cultures. So family name. Let's have a kid so we can have a family name go on into perpetuity. It's how it works. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's how it works. The old world loved them kids because kids served the needs of the family, especially the parents. And we see it all the time in Africa and Central America and even in the Caucasus. The old world, right? The old world demands service from the young. And guess what? The younger you are, the more you serve. So little brothers serve big brothers and big sisters all the way up the age chain. Old equals wise and wisdom must be honored. Mm -hmm. It's really not complicated, but it's breaking down. I can tell you a story real quickly about a woman named Tsige who works in Ethiopia. We know her. She basically had to start an old folks home, a, a type of hospice, because the urban economy in Ethiopia had driven all of the young people into the cities where they were working in this very new world economy and were not able to take care of their parents. Mm -hmm. You were seeing the birth, you know, this is five years ago we worked with her, five years ago you saw that you're seeing the birth of the new world economy and how it was creating very new world problems. That's not to say the old world doesn't have problems. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, you had kids to take care of you when you got older. Well, now, other people do it for you because you have to work. Anyway, in many ways, parents without kids means parents who cannot thrive and flourish. And that's changed. For the new world, many... <laughs> Light people, parents see kids as the impediment to flourishing. <laughs> it's an exact reversal. If I don't have kids, I can't flourish. In the new world, cultures, if I have kids, I might not flourish. I mean, at least that's how it works in the minds of many, many people. As they get older and start to, you know, consider children. Kids have become an evolutionary no-no. I mean, it's not like parents are sitting around in the delivery room these days with little raisin face Johnny on their lap saying, Woo! Whew, thank God! I wasn't sure how we'd survive the next 20 years without this little anxiety-inducing creature. Yeah. It's changing, man. In the old world, little Johnny was more like a brand new foot-powered wheat thresher. It was like Christmas for farm dads. Every time a son was born. Moms, they looked at their daughters and thought, 
Gosh, my inflamed dough-kneading forearms already feel better because little Susie's here. Service. Yeah. It, it's a thing, man. Old school. Now, what about this concept of offering sacrifice? This is really important. I, I think it's even more important, and it's more esoteric, but man. Just play along because it's the real forget, forgotten aspect of this whole old world, new world kid thing. Kids in the old world were known and where the old world persists, where pre-enlightenment culture is, they still are known as offerings. And I mean offerings, okay? Like the altar kind of offering. So if you go back in time, here's a little sampling of some old school, old world cultures and their inauspicious traditions as per kids. The Ammonites folks living on the east side of the River Jordan at the time of Christ. They used to offer their kids to good old Moloch. Well, it was a little earlier than Christ, but right in that time period. Like, yeah, like offer them, like bled them to death for Moloch. Yeah. There's all kinds of evidence in the Tanakh, in, in, well, in the Hebrew Bible, in, in your Christian Old Testament. You can find this. Carthagin Carthaginians, those old world cats from Northern Africa. Well, Plato... The philosopher in Greece, not the stuff your kids play with. Plato quotes directly from various sources and says that kids were offered as burnt offerings by the Carthaginians to Kronos. Yikes. Tertullian, Christian writer of sorts, he speaks about the Phoenicians who used to hang their kids like, quote, votive offerings on crosses in order to appease the god El. Sacrifices. Minoans from the Isle of Crete. Yeah, they had big-time elaborate services where children were offered up, and also along with sheep, in order to secure rich harvest and even more children. That's right. You, get, you sacrifice one, and you get more of them. Because you want them, but you got to sacrifice them. The Ver Sacrum. That's interesting. That means a sacred spring. Well, this was a, well, you found this all over Europe, but often in Northern European villages, they would devote and offer everything born in a certain spring, animal, humans, children, to the sky god Calus in order to relieve some calamity or other. Yeah. And those offerings, I won't tell you how they worked, but let's just say they involve skulls and big stones. And little kids. Yeah. And then if you cross the Atlantic, pretty much every pre-Columbian culture on this side, over here in the Atlantic, the Mayan, the Inca, and the Aztec, they all had cultures where kids were sacrificed, substituted for grains or elixirs in order to truly please the gods and fix those pesky natural disasters. Yeah, kids... Offered on altars. That's a thing. I mean, you've got Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, going on a camping trip. It was supposed to end in an altar nap for young Isaac. And then God said, no, nope, let's try something different. Yeah, offerings, man. Kids in the old school, old world were sometimes offerings. And... 
even when they weren't that kind of offering, they were still known as offerings. And here's where it gets kind of cool. Let's check out Islam. That's solid 7th century stuff, 8th century stuff. This is old school Islam. You can see variations on this, but most Muslims would know this stuff I'm about to tell you. I learned about it in Mali with some pretty traditional African uh, Muslims. In, in Islam, children are gifts to parents. They're offerings to parents in that old world way I was just speaking of. But they didn't sacrifice them. They're honored gifts, they're offerings by God as per the Quran, and they're offerings in the sense that they need to be taken care of as a gift. And here's a really cool thing. In Islam, kids have rights, which is not really so much a Christian concept, which we can get into sometime. It's not really how Christians think about their lives as having rights. If you do think that way, congratulations. That's a very enlightenment way of thinking about yourself. But in Islam, they do use the word rights, but listen how it's used, okay? It's very interesting. So a child has the right to be protected from Satan. Like freedom of speech? No, it's actually not like that at all. The right to be protected from Satan. So when a marriage match is made in Islam, the not yet born child has a right. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. The kid's not born. There's just a match. Mom and dad haven't even had sex, much less get married. But the incoming child has a right. And it's a right to be protected from Satan. The prophet Muhammad told Muslims about a prayer they should perform during sexual intercourse, which protects the fetus from Satan. Mm -hmm. I learned about this in Mali. Ibn Abbas, the cousin of Muhammad, reported that the prophet said, quote, this is from the prophet in the Quran, if any one of you intends to go to his wife and you say in the name of Allah, O Allah, protect us against Satan and keep this child to be from Satan, then you will be honored. Yeah, check that out. So like little sex prayers to protect the incoming child, that's a right of the child, a right. That's pretty intense. A child in Islam has the right to life. The Islamic Sharia sees the fetus as a human being that must not be killed once life has been breathed into it. And in most Muslim traditions, that's somewhere between conception and four months. After four months, no, nothing you can do or should do against that life. That's the right of life. And if you do do something, then you get an obligatory blood money curse against you. Yeah, we won't get into that. But A child has the right to hear prayers. Whoa. It feels different than the right to say, I don't know, receive universal basic income. Feels different. Yeah. You have a right to call azan and a comma into a baby's ear. Yeah. So this would fall under post-delivery rights. And it basically says a kid needs to hear the call to prayer in his right ear and the akama, which is the second call to prayer that says, hey, guess what? It started now in the left ear. Yeah. 
In the Quran, it says, quote, I saw the prophet calling azan in the ear of al-Hasan. Well, this, this is not from the Quran, that is, but that's, that's from the tradition. I saw the prophet calling azan in the ear of al-Hasan ibn Ali. There was a young child born to the community when Fatima gave birth to the child. So they're following the prophet, and the kid has a right to have a prayer screamed into his right ear and then into his left. Yeah, these are different rights. Here's one. The right to be shorn. A baby in Islam has the right to be shorn. One of the newborn's rights is shaving his or her hair and giving the weight of that shaved hair as a charity in silver dollars. Yep. So you cut your hair, you weigh it, and then you have to give the amount of money that that hair weighs to the poor. And the baby has the right to be shorn. What? <laughs> I, these were, this is nuts. I thought, I thought a baby should have the right to like have a blanket and food. No. You have to do that if you're a good Muslim parent. Yeah, I mean that, I guess it has rights to that, but that's, yeah, that's your responsibility. But the kid has these rights. So there's something funny about these rights. They don't feel as much as rights as demands on parents, right? To get their kids in alignment with Muhammad. So there's an alignment thing going on. Something like Islam is calling rights of kids is something like the purpose of a kid. The purpose of a kid is to be a proper offering to Allah. A gift to parents from God is an invitation to piety. Kids sort of become a way to get right with God because they bridge the parents to the divine because they're suddenly responsible to get that kid right before Allah. In this, in this way, you can see that the child is given to her parents so that her parents can become acceptable to Allah. And this is very similar to what you might hear from a Western New World parent. In fact, I heard this the other day at a cigar bar with some friends. And this character, I, I really like this guy. He said, quote, when I look at my daughter, there's a mirror that somehow she holds up to me. I see myself like laid bare and vulnerable in, in front of her. I'm challenged and pushed by her to become the person that she sees her dad to be. Right? He didn't say this last part, but he said it feels like she is meant to see in him something that God wants for him as well. That would be the old world idea. Right? It's not necessarily her you're trying to please, it would be God. But the kid serves as right as the enzyme for making you look in the mirror properly. Yeah, and this is a pattern in life. Fullness manifest. It manifests, fullness, wholeness manifests in the emptying of self on behalf of others. In this case, kids. Kids are making you acceptable to God. That's a very old world concept that I think lives in many new world minds, but minus the God part. Hindu a very old religion, a way to see the world, they also 
they they squared out in a very similar way. Right? They call it the three debts. So first, a parent parents have kids. The purpose of the kids is so that the parents pay back their ancestors. Quote, a married man pays his debt by having children, especially a male child, to continue the family lineage. Second, a man and wife are gifted children and then honor this gift by paying the gift forward in the form of sacrifices and prayers to the gods. So this is stuff like incense and alms to the poor. So basically a kid here is for making his or her parents better at being godly. And finally, a good Hindu has kids and then teaches the kids the way of the gods, and he does this to pay back a debt to his religious teachers, his gurus. Right? Teach your kid what your guru taught you. Pay back the guru. That's a very circular understanding of kids, right? But notice it's all tied into something higher. And then look at the Christian Orthodox understanding. Old school Christian children are born to their parents in order that they might glorify God. They were given to you as a parent so that you will offer them back to God. That's the offering. That's the super old world part. Go and read. You can find this stuff all throughout the New Testament. God wants your kids in the old world to honor him. But not so that God gets glory, it's so that you might live in alignment with divinity, so that you might be fulfilled. Right? With the coming of Christ, the narrative in the Middle East moves from your kid as appeasement to your kid as a broken and contrite heart. That's what God will not despise, a broken and contrite heart. And that's what a kid is for. A kid is so that you as parents and kid as reality may both be broken and be a proper offering to God. So a good soul is what God wants from your kid. It's the purpose. Yeah. Yep. That's kind of how it works, right? So for old world people, the best thing that could ever happen to them is the kid, right? The word inherit and the word heritage are related. And one's heritage is linked to what they've inherited. You don't get to claim for yourself what your heritage is. It was given to you. So who you are is what you were given. And in order to honor that inheritance, you must offer thanksgiving. It's the way of the old world. Offer to the giver what the giver offered to you. In the Orthodox Christian liturgy, uh, a pretty old world event, and an event aimed at remembering, putting back together what is already true, remembering, like taking all the members of a body and remembering them, putting it back together every Sunday. In that liturgy, you hear these words during the anaphora, the moment of the sacrifice to God. You hear these words, thine own of thine own we offer unto thee on behalf of all and for all. Then immediately the priest in the Epiclesis calls down the Holy Spirit on the material reality, the bread and the wine, so as to transform them into the body and blood of Christ. This is also why you had a kid. 
thine own of thine own. The kid that came out of your womb by this union is actually God's, and now we offer it back. Whoa! It's a lot. It's a lot to... It's heavy. But if you look at that, you see the answer to our question. And kind of what sets the old world apart from the new when it comes to kids. Kids are gifts to you from God meant to be offered back to your creator. And offered back as broken and contrite, as humble. Yeah. Your gift goes back to the first giver. This is very old world. Because what it does is it puts God in, in the middle and at the end of all things, as Alpha and Omega. Nothing exists outside the Creator. But in the new world, where folks are asked to move closer and closer to equating God and good with self and self-will, well, this old world idea just seems dumb. In fact, if you look at how rights work in the new world, you'll see that they started as endowed by the Creator, and now, well, they're just, I don't know, endowed by governments? And that only makes sense, right? If you understand the purpose of your birth was to become the person of your choice. That choice having nothing to do with something like a God or creator. And if the government is democratic, the government represents the people. And in that sense, the people are the ones giving you your rights. The rights have to come from somewhere. And in the new world, they come from the God, and that's me and you. Simply put, when you are your own God, then you have all the rights, and your life is utterly yours. There's no purpose for your life at that point. There is no real purpose for having kids, unless, of course, it is your desire. And that's the new world notion of rights. Rights aren't things given. They are things that exist as desire within you. Because I'm the God now, dog. See, I went to an old movie quote. Andrew, can you pull up Sean Connery right now? I'm the God now, dog. I think that's from the movie where the kid's like a writer. Somehow Sean Connery's living in Harlem. What the heck is the name of that movie? I'm the God now, dog. That's what it is. You're the, you're the God now, dog. It's you. You're the man. And if this is confusing, it's one, because this could be confusing because of the way I presented it. But I have, I, have an, I have an idea that it's confusing because you and I, we're new world people. We can't even conceive of our lives as not our own. Like, wait a minute. What does that even mean? Heavy things lightly. You're the dog now, God. Wait, you're the you're the man now, dog. You're the God now, dog. Oh Lord. Andrew, I can tell you want to cut this. No. There's something in it. And that means we're done. We've reached the end for today. Some other cool stuff happening soon in our little cultural existence here called Watar. Join us for our pod course, which is coming up January 19th. Join us for our future podcast. Join us at our restaurant, which is coming up. Help and support our guys in the field. 
who are doing really good work with local people who start really cool projects. In other words, we help build capacity for local people who have brilliant ideas and just face roadblocks. We remove the roadblocks and then aid them in their dreams for a better life. First Things Foundation, www.first-things.org. Come and join our work. Take a trip with us. There's a lot of things, but most of all, thank you for being a part of this pod. we got a cool community growing. Let's keep going. Hasta luego. Au revoir. Nakfam dis. Jusque la prochaine fois. C'est tout.